This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Well, go to the Lord with me in prayer, if you would, before we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, the gift you've given us in your command to set a day aside to worship you. Your sovereignty and your grace and knowing that we would need a day like today to restore our spirits and a day to hear from your word, a day to fellowship together. It's a great blessing, Lord, and I thank you for that. And as we go to your word now, uh, the, the solid rock that we stand on, that we are built from, that we grow out of, Father, I pray that you would give us a glimpse of yourself and of our Savior, remind us of, our, of, the, of the blessings that we have received from you and the call on our life to display those to the world. Father, everything that you have given us, all these blessings are ours because of Jesus Christ, and so it is in his name that I pray. Amen. We are back in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles. For those of you who are new here or visiting, it's only fair that I warn you, you're going to have to have watched a movie called The Princess Bride in order to understand most of my illustrations. As an example, in the movie The Princess Bride, there's a scene where the, the bad guy, his name is Prince Humperdinck, he had kidnapped the heroine named uh, Buttercup, and his evil plan was to marry her and then murder her, and then blame it on his arch enemy in order to start a war. But Buttercup's true love and the hero of the story named Wesley wasn't having it. And so back inside the castle, the, the wedding is beginning. The, the kind of hapless priest begins the wedding and says, Marriage is what gathers us here together today. Good. You guys get it. But no sooner did the priest begin the ceremony than Prince Humperdinck started hearing the, the clamor of the good guys outside trying to break in. And so he began to bark at the priest under his breath, man and wife, just say man and wife. Because he thought 
if he could just get the wedding over with and, and they could be married, then even if Wesley broke in, he'd be too late because they couldn't undo the marriage. So clearly confused, the, the priest muttered, man and wife, and Prince Humperdinck dragged, dragged Buttercup down the hall to her cell and ran off to fight Wesley. Now, here's the problem that Wesley would point out later for Prince Humperdinck. The wedding wasn't legitimate, he would say. It, was, it never happened. They had skipped the important parts. Even though the, prince, the priest had said man and wife, Wesley explains that Prince Humperdinck and Buttercup were never really married because they had skipped the middle. He, he wanted the wedding without the love. He wanted the man and wife without the I do's. He wanted the marriage without the middle. And here's the thing, as so often is the case with this movie, it perfectly mirrors real life. In fact, I'm kind of surprised Jesus didn't use it more in his teaching. <laughs> Too often we want the end without the beginning. We want the marriage without the middle. We want the Christ without the command. In other words, some Christians want Jesus' love for them, but not their love for others. We want the love of Christ, but we don't want to give the love of Christ. So what happens is, is, is too often the love in the church begins to look like the world's love. It's a love that proclaims Jesus loves me, but I don't love you. It's a love that says, I'll love you if you love me. And it's a love that says, I'll keep loving you if you keep proving yourself worthy of my love. So as Peter finishes his introduction of his letter to these exiled Christians, after he has stood them back up on their feet by reminding them of the magnificent love of the salvation that we have to hope in, the first thing he wants to instruct us about is that the primary fruit of our salvation, the primary export of the gospel that has saved us is love. And that's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that the seed of the gospel will always cause and grow love. The seed of the gospel will always cause and grow love. First, Peter's going to tell us the gospel always causes love, and he'll show us how and what kind of love, and then he'll show us how the gospel always grows love. So look first at how Peter says the gospel always causes love in the beginning of verse 20, in, in verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. He begins, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, just to make sure we're all on the same page, what Peter means when he says your obedience to the truth is this. The truth he mentions is the gospel. Your obedience is faith in that gospel because that's what the gospel demands is faith. So when he says you, uh, uh, your obedience to the truth, he really means what he's saying is, is your faith in the gospel. So, so back to verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 
Who do you love? And probably the more important question is, why do you love them? We have an affinity of loving people who can do something for us. Satisfy something for us. Give us something. We don't tend to love people who give us nothing in return. But the gospel always causes love. But Peter doesn't tell us that it causes just any kind of love, does he? This isn't just any old love. Peter tells us to love one another earnestly or fervently or constantly or deeply, your translation might say. Picture a sprinter in the blocks at the Olympics right before the the starter's gun goes off in the 100-yard dash. His muscles are taut and ready to explode, and bang, the gun goes off. And all these racers take off down the down the track. Their heads are down, their legs are, are chugging down the track, unlike me, even at full tilt, nothing jiggles when they run. You can see the, the fibers and the muscles straining in their bodies as each stride propels them faster and faster down the track. When Peter tells us to love one another earnestly, The word he uses is the same word that describes an animal or a human running at full speed. He's saying love one another with strenuous effort. Love one another like a sprinter that's accelerating down the track. Love one another with all the muscles of your heart and your mind stretching and pulling and striving. But I think a legitimate question we have to ask is why? God's okay with us asking why. Why do we love like that? Why do we not just love, but love earnestly? And why is that the first thing He calls us to? The answer to that question is found in understanding why Peter uses this metaphor of a seed. He didn't use that just because it happened to work. He used it on purpose to describe what we've been born of. Think of it this way. There are two maple trees in our yard, but maples aren't indigenous to New Mexico, or at least where we live. You see, my wife spent some of her younger years in Wheaton, Illinois, and they were fond years for her. She liked them. And one of the things that reminded her of that time were the big trees that grow in that region of the United States. And at some point in the past, her sister Holly was able to get her hands on some of those seeds of those maple trees, and Shannon got her hands on them, and if Shannon gets anything, she plants it, even if it's dead. That's just what she does. The point is this. It didn't matter where Shannon planted those seeds. If the, f- if the soil was fertile enough, those seeds could only produce a maple tree. They couldn't make anything different, and the same is true of the gospel. Peter's saying you have been born of the imperishable seed of the gospel, and if you have been born of the seed of the gospel, then you're going to look like the tree you came from, which is Jesus Christ. Isn't this what we already read this morning? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-12 through 12, at the beginning, 
when John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. This is the kind of love that that we're being made into. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. In other words, if you have been born again by God, if you are a seed from that tree, you will look like Him, and He is love. The seed of the gospel always causes love. And there's, there, there's more to it, though. Seeds always carry with them two things. They always carry with them power and purpose. Power and purpose. The, the power to duplicate itself, to start another living thing, and then the purpose for what that will be. The gospel, again, is no different. It's just like when Shannon planted those maple trees. Those seeds contained the power and the purpose for a maple tree. So look at how Peter describes the power of this gospel seed. He says in verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that that was preached to you. What, What Peter is saying is that the seed of the gospel has the power to make us something we are not by ourselves. By ourselves, we are weak and fading. And so that is the love that we can show on our own. Our love is weak and fading on our own. Our world, especially right now, is doing everything it can to try to manufacture love, and they're messing it up seven ways from Sunday. Our world cannot help but try to find this love, but it's incapable of finding it. It's incapable of accomplishing it. It's incapable of doing it. It's it's weak and it's fading. Even though this world desperately craves this perfect love of God, it can only offer a love that is weak and fading because it doesn't have the power to do otherwise. Therefore, Peter is careful to make sure we understand that we're born of a different seed. We've been born again, not of the weak flesh, but of the imperishable seed of Christ. It's a seed whose power remains forever because the word of the Lord remains forever. So it's a seed that won't run out of gas. It's a a love that won't fail and it won't fade because the power of the seed we've been born of is eternal. Now, can we just be honest? This is a safe place. Aren't there just some people who are hard to love? It's okay. The answer is yes. And it's okay just thinking it's not you. 
Some people seem to go out of their way to insult you. Some people only seem concerned with whether you love them. They seldom think about their love for others. Some people are just evil, conniving, wicked people. And some, if we're going to be honest, are just flat annoying. I don't know why. Don't ask me. The church is sometimes like a weirdo magnet. Right? Yes, it is. Come on, guys. It's okay. It's therapy. Yes. We are. Let's put all that in perspective, though. How might you have annoyed Jesus? How might you have insulted Jesus? You ever think about that? How many times would you have had to ask Jesus, are you sure about that? Before you insulted him. How many ways would we have made it difficult for Jesus to love us? When asked what the most important law of the entire Old Testament was, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, and likewise the same as that is to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on those two laws hang the entire law. Love. And the Bible says that Jesus upheld the law perfectly. Think about how that meant he had to love us. Think about how he loved annoying people like us, like he loves himself, who had nothing to give in return. This is the seed, or the, the good news, Peter calls it, that was preached to you. The good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for the sins of, let's face it, incredibly annoying, insulting people like you and I. That's exactly what we just read is that the love was not that we loved God, but that He loved us before we loved Him. God received nothing in return until He loved us. But it's also the seed of a Savior who didn't stay dead. Because of His strenuous, fervent, constant love for wicked people like you and I, he conquered that grave and rose three days after he was crucified and then gave that life to us, who again, didn't deserve it. In other words, we've been born of a seed that didn't skip the hard part in the middle. We, we, we have a marriage that, that didn't skip the I do's and, and the vows. The gospel always causes love because that's the power of the seed from which we're born. But that's just the power. Look at the purpose this seed contains in chapter 2, verse 1. That seed contains the power to, to make us love and then look at the purpose of that love because it doesn't just cause love. It always causes earnest, fervent, and constant love. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Peter says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. I want you to notice the one little word that Peter keeps repeating in that verse because it's how you can identify counterfeit worldly love. The world also says that we should put away malice and hypocrisy and deceit and slander. But Peter says we are to put away what? All malice 
and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. And there's no qualification to that. He doesn't say put all slander away unless they deserve it. Put away all hypocrisy away unless it'll get you somewhere. Put away all malice unless they're really bugging. That's the purpose of the seed we've been born of is to make us more like Jesus who loves this way, this kind of tree, no matter what the other person deserves. Jesus had no malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander. We've been born of a seed that has the power to create that kind of genuinely loving people. The power to love and the purpose to vigorously, strenuously, constantly, self-sacrificially love people who might not be that lovable. Just like our Savior. Now, here's the question that you should be asking yourself. When you walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, are you looking to love others or for others to love you? Are you looking for ways to love someone like your Savior or are you looking for ways someone should be loving you? Are you looking for someone to love or are you looking for someone who isn't loving you? Are you willing to love the others in this room regardless of how they love you or is your love dependent on whether or not they love you first? Because if we say we've been born of the seed of Christ, then we will put away all those self-serving, self-protecting ways that in the end are based on our expectations for others to love us. And here's the real ramifications of what that means. Absolutely, yes, you put yourself out there to get hurt. Did Jesus get hurt because he loved us? Did he make himself vulnerable because he loved us? Absolutely. This is a magnificent tree we've been born of. The seed that we have where our strength is in Him, not in how people love us. And so we are able to put our hearts on the line over and over and over again for each other because that's what our Savior did. We're not guarded in our love to, to keep ourselves from hurt. We continue to love even if we're hurt. The seed of the gospel will always cause earnest love. Now, if you hear anything from me this morning, I want you to hear this very clearly. One of the things I love most about this church is how you love like this. One of the things I hear over and over from visitors is how different this church is when it comes to brotherly love. I, I would say maybe as an example, if, if we happen to be one of the churches in Revelation that Jesus wrote a letter to, do we have our problems? Absolutely. He would say, I have this against you. I know that. But I know that just like he wrote those other seven churches before he got there, I know he would commend us for our brotherly love. Let me say that differently. I'm usually more concerned that you will scare visitors off because you'll smother them 
not because you'll insult them or ignore them. Usually, I'm sitting somewhere being like, come on, guys, they want to go. It's obvious to me. Just You guys get them trapped in a row, and you're just being all happy and loving. Here's what that means. In John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus said this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, meaning by this loving of one another, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want you guys to understand that it blesses me that when it comes to love, it's obvious to this community that this church is from the Jesus tree. Now, does that love feel a little pushy sometimes? Absolutely. Sometimes loving earnestly is telling others the truth in love. And then continuing to love them no matter how they respond. But I want you guys to hear from me today that, that as far as what Peter is saying in this, this part here, that you can tell this body is born from the seed of the gospel of love. It's a, it's a massive blessing because the seed of the gospel will always cause earnest love. Now, that is true, but Peter doesn't stop there, and so we can't either. He says we're not done. Yes, the seed of the gospel will always cause love, and I, I am greatly blessed to see that that seed has caused love in this, in this body, but the seed of the gospel will always grow love as well. Look at verse 2 and 3 in chapter 2. Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right now, Shannon and I have this incredible blessing of our two-month-old grandson named Tito. Um, I call him Tito. His name's Theodore. Has been living with us um, for, well, since he's been born. He'll be with us for about another month. Yes, his... His drivers also live with us, but that's not the important part. Um, he's the fattest little thing you've ever seen. I think if we were to starve to death, he'd probably be the last one to die. But you wouldn't know that if you, if you lived with him. Every two to three hours, like clockwork, he acts like he's going to die if someone doesn't give him milk. How bad do you yearn for the spiritual milk of the Word of God? Because Peter tells us that if you've tasted that the Lord is good, and you have if you've been born of that imperishable seed, he says then you need to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word that will keep growing you like Tito longs for his mother's milk, like your life depends on it, like you're going to starve to death if you don't get more. You're going to wither away if you don't get more. Why? Because you are a growing tree. The seed of the gospel always causes and grows earnest love. The seed of the gospel always causes and grows earnest love. Nobody's done growing in love. Listen, 
we have love handles that need to grow. Never thought you'd hear that from the pulpit, did you? Do some of our branches need a little pruning? Absolutely, we're not perfect. Do some of our trees look like junipers or pines instead of Jesus? Yes, that needs to be handled. But until we arrive on the other side of the grave, everyone, every single purpose, in, every single person in this room who has tasted that the Lord is good, who has been born of that seed, the imperishable seed of the gospel, every single one of us who calls on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can grow in their ability to love like Jesus. The only way that that is done is through the pure spiritual milk of the word. Now, providentially, because this is how God rolls, I didn't plan this at all, but we have an opportunity to do this this afternoon. God ordained that we talk about love on the day of the crab oil. Amen. Let me give you some ideas. Sit next to someone you don't know that well or at all and try to love them. See if you can be lovingly nosy in an effort to see how someone might need to be loved. And then don't leave it there. When you find a way that someone needs to be loved, Follow through and love them earnestly like the seed that's taken root in you. Because the seed of the gospel always causes and grows love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the gift of your word is something that I confess we don't understand how powerful it is. Father, I pray that you would, as Paul prayed, you would open the eyes of our hearts to the power that you are able to work in us through your word. through your spirit living and abiding in us, that you would make us lush, fruit-bearing, large, loving trees, that the herding could find shelter under, that you would make us trees that are visible from a long way away. Father, I pray that you would make Jesus very evident to others through our love. And that in turn they would want that. They would want, they would see our love, that they would see our reflection of Christ and that they would want Him. Father, I thank You for the gift of this body and the way that You have, have knit us together and I thank You for opportunities like today to to tighten those bonds. 
Father, I thank you for crab. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please stand with me and let's sing of the love of the body.